uh, tonight. We're not going to, to preach from this passage, but we're going to jump from there to the passage that we're going to be at. And the reason is, um, Psalm 46, I've heard at least one pastor who believes that it was written based on the events of the chapters that we're going to look at. So Psalm 46, and it's, it's a well-known psalm, and I think it's a comfort to our hearts even just, just to read it and think about these words. The title of it is, To the Chief Musician for the Sons of Korah, a song upon Alamoth. And it's interesting, the sons of Korah, if you remember how Korah rebelled against the Lord in, in numbers and God uh, struck him, he had the ground open and, and Korah died and there was that company with him. But, but Korah had descendants that were not killed when God judged Korah. And they became, a, they were involved in the temple worship. It's kind of interesting that though their, their ancestor had rebelled against God and been judged for it, yet God in his grace had spared them and still used them. Uh, it's a song upon Alamoth, but we read in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. And you think about the picture there, it's like as if the whole world is caving in on you, the whole world's falling apart, and yet even in the midst of times like that, we don't have to be afraid because we know that God is our refuge, that he's always there for us. Uh, Verse 4, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. Think about the heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. Because of their their rage, there was this movement of the nations. But then what a contrast between the heathen's rage and what it accomplishes in verse 6, the next part. He, that's God, he uttered his voice. The earth melted. The world can go in an uproar and things can get shaken, but God just has to speak a word. And his, his power is so much greater than the rage of the nations. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. I'm reminded of the story of John Wesley when he was dying. And his last words were, the best of all, God is with us. The Lord of hosts is with us. So we're going to go from Psalm 46. And we're going to go to the events that uh, some believe were the basis from which Psalm 46 was written. So you think about that, that statement from verse 1, the Lord, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Isaiah 36, we'll start reading in just a moment, but, uh, but let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for how I've been challenged, and I ask that uh, you would help me to find my refuge in you, not to lean on myself, and I ask that you'd help it of each one here tonight. Lord, I, th- I think of Mrs. Capel, and we ask that you would encourage her as she's in the hospital tonight, and that you would give her quick recovery, and that she'd be able to be up and about and be well quickly, and meet the needs of Pastor Capel as well, and, and, and Jonathan, and bless them. We think of this 
lady named Sierra that we, we don't know her, but think of the just the incredible circumstances that she's going through. Lord, I ask that you'd give comfort to her. Uh, you know whether or not she'll lose her arms tomorrow. We ask that you would just help her and her family to know your grace and peace and presence in a special way. And no doubt, many of us here have burdens on our hearts. May we find our refuge in you. May we find our peace in you. Lord, I ask that as we look in your word tonight, that you'd help us to see truths that you'd like us to see, that you'd help us to apply it to our lives. Empower me as I speak, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 36. So if I were to, to give a title for this, this uh, message tonight, the, one of the ones that I thought of was Precious Savior, Still Our Refuge, and taking it from that first verse of Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Uh, and I think of that song that we just sang that uh, Drew led, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And I kind of want to bring that in to kind of introduce, uh, introduce this. So we're thinking, we're going we're gonna to find in Isaiah 36 a man and a nation that we're at, a crisis period in their nation. Uh, um, King Hezekiah was on the throne in a crisis time in his life. And I want us to at least consider the theme tonight that in crisis times of life or in troubled times of life, I need to, you need to, we need to trust in God. And we're going to look at the example of Hezekiah and, and how he trusted in God and just maybe some, some things that we'll learn from that. But the song we were saying, uh, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, it was written by a, name, a man named Joseph Scriven. And many of you may know the story, but Joseph Scriven was uh, an Irishman. He had just graduated recently from his college. This was back in the 1800s. And he was engaged to be married. And as the story goes, the day before his wedding, his, his uh, bride-to-be was out riding on a horse. She was riding near a, a stream, and something startled the horse, and it threw her. She was knocked into the stream knocked unconscious, and she drowned before Scriven could get to where she was. And he, he talked about how as, as they pulled her body out of the river, he said, he looked in her face, he said, it was as if the bottom of my world fell out. I don't know that we'll go through times like that. But he, uh, he moved from Ireland to Canada, to Ontario, Canada. And went on with life, and he was actually well-known throughout the, the area that he lived as being a, a, really a blessing to people. He would do work for free for, for widows and ladies, and not just ladies, but people that were too poor to pay him. But shortly, uh, he had been there for several years. He got a, a letter from his mother and he, back in Ireland and found out she was going through a terrible illness. And so he wrote her. He wrote her a poem. And that poem is, is what we sang. Tonight, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. He actually entitled it something like Pray Without Ceasing was what the initial title didn't mean for it to ever be published, but it was published, put to music. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. I think of that one verse where it talks about precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's beginning in verse 1 of Isaiah 36, let's consider that there's a crisis event in the life of Hezekiah. Now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the defense cities of Judah and took them. 
And the king of Assyria sent Rabshakeh from Lachish to Jerusalem unto King Hezekiah with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. Then came forth unto him Eliakim, Hilkiah's son, which was over the house, and Shebna the scribe, and Joah, Asaph's son, the recorder. So this crisis time, we're going to have crisis times in our lives, but it's not going to, I don't think we're going to have hundreds of thousands of troops outside our house door. Uh, if, <laughs> who knows? God, God, God knows. But, uh, but here it was. They're out. This enemy, this, this horrific enemy, Sennacherib and his, his men have come against Hezekiah to fight against Hezekiah, to take the city, to, to, to fight against them. And then we find it not only just this crisis time, but I would call this, uh, for lack of a better word, the crossroads, a crossroads in, in, in their life. We read in verse 2, he stood by the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. So we have this crisis. We also have this, this, the crossroads. And I was reminded of, of the statement of Yogi Berra, that uh, great uh, sage uh, baseball player. But he had this statement. He said, uh, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. That, I mean, that's really profound. Really, when you come to a fork in the road, you will take it. But the question is, which way are you going to go? And I, I thought of a story my dad used to tell, my grandpa used to tell about this lady that this man saw this lady walking down this road. She came to this intersection. This was back in the old day. And she had this stick. She kept throwing it up in the air. He said, well, what? this man was like, well, what are you doing with that? And she said, well, I take this stick because when I don't know which way to go, I'll throw it up. And however it lands is where I'll, I'll go this way or that way. And he said, okay, well, how does that work for you? She says, great, it's, it's perfect. And she says, sometimes I throw it 10 times before I get it to go where I need to go. <laughs> but there's a, isn't that how we are, though? You know, God showed me what to do, and I'm already going this way, and I just keep praying until I, I hope you just go ahead and direct me the way I want to go already. There's a crossroads point in Hezekiah's life. Would you turn to Isaiah 7? Isaiah 7. And you say, what, what's, what's the big deal? This is, I, I, I call it the crossroads or a place of decision. This place, the conduit by the, the fuller's field, and, and we'll find that Hezekiah's father Ahaz was in the same place not many years before. In verse 1 of Isaiah 7, it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, uh, came against Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war against it, but they could not prevail against it. And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim, and his heart was moved in the heart of his people, as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz. This is Hezekiah's father. Thou and Shear Jasub thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. So his dad was in the same spot, different enemy, Different situation, different crisis, but he's at a crossroads point in his life, just as later his son would be. And, and God had sent Isaiah to Ahaz, and he says, Say unto him, Take heed and be quiet. Fear not, neither be faint-hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin with Syria and of the son of Remaliah. Because Syria and Ephraim and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and so forth. And, and God says in verse 7, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. And then in verse 9, he says to, to Ahaz, If ye will not believe, surely ye shall not be established. If you were to, to read more, we'd find that Ahaz, his father, at this crossroads moment, 
at this place of decision, didn't trust God. In fact, that was where we have the, the famous uh, prophecy that was given and says, Behold, a virgin shall uh, conceive and bear a son about Jesus. But the fact is that, that God had told Ahaz to ask a sign from him, and Ahaz in his pride said, Oh, I'm not going to tempt God. He wouldn't trust God. He didn't, he didn't believe in God. Well, his son is now faced with a different crisis, but is also at a crossroads. So we read in verse 4 in Rabshak, and here's where we're going to talk about not only the, the crisis and the crossroads, but we're going to talk about the communication. The communication. Uh, verse 4 in Rabshak is said unto them, Say ye now to Hezekiah, Thus saith the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this? Where thou trustest, I say, sayest thou, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now in whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? And he, he's going to go on. Uh, this is a lengthy passage. And then even there's uh, uh, chapter 37, there's more communication that goes on as well. But this is, what, what's going on here is psychological warfare. It's propaganda. Really, it's blasphemy against God. And I thought about how during World War II, I don't know if, if y'all have ever read World War II history, but if you've ever heard of the name uh, Tokyo Rose, Tokyo Rose, or Lord Ha Ha, but in, in Europe there was Lord Ha Ha, and he was—I um, know it sounds ridiculous—and and there were there were different others, and in, in, in the, the Japanese forces there was Tokyo Rose. But what they would do is they would have different broadcasts that would go out to the Allied soldiers, and it was coming from. Our enemies, and they would be in the language of the the English language, and it would be messages designed to try to to defeat us, to mess with our morale, to defeat. And really, I'm looking at this guy, and it's like this is the same kind of deal. This is a message trying to tear down their trust in God, trying to win without really without having to fight, because he's going to ask, he's going to try to get the people to surrender. So there's the communication. And there is in this communication a question about their trust or about their confidence. So we begin, when we, when we look about the trust or the confidence, where we can put our trust in times of crisis. He says in verse 5, I say, sayest thou, but they are vain words. I have counsel and strength for war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? And I, verse 4, what confidence is this wherein thou trustest? Really, it's a fair question in one sense. It's a question maybe we should ask ourselves. Obviously, his question is trying to tear them down. But the, it's a question we're faced with. Who am I trusting in, in this situation? Who am I trusting in? There's the danger of self-confidence. Verse 5, I have counsel and strength for war. Rabshak, I believe, is saying in this situation, who are you trusting in? Hezekiah, you're trusting in yourself. I have counsel and strength for war. You're trusting in, your, in the plans, and you're trusting in your wisdom. You're maybe trusting in the wisdom of your counselors. You're trusting in your strength. He's right if they were trusting in themselves that they were wrong to put their trust there. Doesn't the Bible say, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom? 
let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not, this, I, I'm paraphrasing, the strong man glory in his strength. Or the, the mighty man. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he knoweth and understandeth me. I think of how even in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, when, when Paul is looking at the Corinthian church and he says, you see, your, you see how you are, brethren. He said, not many wise, not many mighty, not many noble are called. I think of passages that say things like, some trust in horses and some in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Is, is there this self-confidence? The arm of flesh will fail you, the song says. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. We cannot trust ourselves. I think about Samson. Remember, he had that great strength that God had given him. And if you look at his life, he was trusting himself so many times, what he could do. I think of how he slew all those men with the jawbone of the donkey. And he gets done with it, and in Judges, it says, he made this little song. And he says, heaps upon heaps with the jawbone of ass, heaps upon heaps have I slain all these people. But then right after that, God makes it to where he's dying of thirst. And he says... You've given, he, he prays, he calls on God, he says, you've given this great deliverance to your servant. After he just bragged about how great he was, when God took away, the, when God showed him he needed water, he, he realized, hey, look, you gave this deliverance to me. And how many times it's easy for us, for me, to rely on whatever God's given me. Whatever it is. God has given so many gifts to us, different gifts to different people, but we can rely on that and not rely on God. And I think of, especially think of, of Samson, and even when he was with Delilah and he had his hair shaved off, before that he kept on making those little hints to her about how his strength could be taken. But he didn't see his strength as coming from God. And it says when she began to afflict him that last time, he didn't realize that the Lord had departed from him, the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. We can trust in our strength. We can trust in our wisdom. Maybe something else about some sort of gift that we have. But there's the danger of self-confidence. So if they would have been trusting in themselves, they would have been wrong. So you can trust in yourself. That's folly. You can trust in your friends or your alliances. Verse 6. Verse 6, he says, Lo, thou trustest in the staff of this broken reed on Egypt, whereon if a man lean it will go into his hand and pierce it, so is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all that trust in him. Didn't God warn Israel many times? Don't go down to Egypt. Don't go down to Egypt. Don't go down to Egypt. I've heard that many times that it was really, obviously it was a real place, but it kind of is by application a picture of the world, trusting in the world. Well, Rabshakeh says, oh, you're, you're trusting you're trusting in your alliances. Man can't help us in times of crisis. I mean, they may be an encouragement. I think of the song we sang, we didn't sing verse 2, but it says, uh, friends, friends here, neighbors are kind. Um, I get along with them in sweet accord, but when, my fa- but when I face the chilling, hands of de- chilling hand of death, where can I go but to the Lord? There's only so much our friends can do for us. We need God. So you can trust in your, your own self, your resources. You can trust in your alliances, your friends. But in verse 7, we're going to hit 
the nail on the head, Rabshakeh will hit the nail on the head of who they were trusting in, or at least of who Hezekiah was trusting in. But if thou say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, that's who he he was trusting in. Is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away and said to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Uh, Now, Rabshakeh was a little confused. Uh, He was a pagan. Uh, He thought because these places had been torn down that God might have been mad with Hezekiah, but these were places that were not sanctioned by God for worship, and and Hezekiah, with his reforms, was wanting the true worship, the right worship of God in the right way. Uh, But he is right when he says, we trust in the Lord our God, if you say that to me. I think of verse 15. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. Can anyone make us trust in God? No. They can encourage us to trust in God. But it's our own decision to trust in God. And so when he hits this nail on the head that that they're trusting in God, he starts trying to tear away that trust. He wants to discourage them. He wants to defeat them. He wants them to be in despair and just to give up. So there is the... um, in the early verses, we have um, the crisis. We have the we have the uh, the crossroads. We have this communication that that really goes on through all this time. You can either trust your own resources, you can trust your friends, or you're trusting God. There's another one that you can trust. You say, "Well, what do you, what do you mean?" He says in verse thirteen. Then Rabshakeh stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jews' language and said, Hear ye the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. And I, I, just, I just want to point this out. That it's something I ran across on that great, um, great resource, Wikipedia. Uh, the great king. This is, this is um, something that was said about Sennacherib, something he recorded about him, himself. And this is only part of how he described himself in other places in history. Here's what Sennacherib called himself. The great king, the mighty king, king of the universe, king of Assyria, king of the world, favorite of the great gods, the wise and crafty one, strong hero. And and it just goes on and on and on. Uh, This guy had an inflated opinion of himself. Uh, But who can we trust? Another one we can trust, he says uh, in verse 16, this is the enemy still speaking, hearken not to Hezekiah. For thus saith the king of Assyria, make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me. And eat ye every one of his vine, every one of his fig tree, and drink ye every one the waters of his own cistern. Until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and and vineyards. We can trust the enemy. Right? That one's, they all should be scary if it's not God. But trusting the enemy, that's, that's really bad. I think of how in Genesis 3, remember the, the devil? Really, man, he's, he's been at this a long time, hasn't he? Has God said that you're not going to eat of every tree of the garden? Oh, oh, oh God says uh, we can eat of, uh, there's certain trees we can eat of, but this one we can't eat of, and we, we can't even touch it unless we die. And the enemy says, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. God knows in the day you eat thereof, you shall be as God's. And she trusted the enemy. We can be tempted to trust 
the enemy. Make it sound so good. Just, just give up. Just surrender. You don't, need to, you don't need to keep doing what you're doing. Don't trust God. Trust me. It'll be so nice. It's pretty scary. That's the compromise that's, that's offered. And then there's a blasphemous comparison that's made. He says in verse 18, Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arphad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? I need to watch Watch, watch what time it is, so I don't keep us here all night. Who are they among all the gods of these lands that have de- delivered their, their land out of my hand, that the Lord should de- deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? He makes a comparison. Would you turn to Isaiah 40? He says, God's no different than the gods we've defeated. You can just see in Isaiah, there's passage after passage after passage that talks about the idols and God, and how God is real, and the idols are not. But Isaiah 40, verse 18, To whom then will ye liken God, or what likeness will ye compare unto him? The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh unto him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known, have ye not heard, hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Isaiah 44, verses 15 through 17. Isaiah 44, and and there's so many places we could go, but this is talking about those that, that make idols and the idols. Then shall it be for a man to burn, for he will take thereof and warm himself. Yea, he kindleth it and baketh bread, verse 15. Yea, he maketh a god and worshipeth it. He maketh it a graven image and falleth down thereto. He burneth part thereof in the fire, with part thereof he eateth flesh. He roasteth roast, is satisfied. Yea, he warmeth himself, saith, Aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the residue thereof he maketh a god, even his graven image. He falleth down unto it, worshipeth it, prayeth unto it, and saith, Deliver me, for thou art my God. They have not known nor understood, for he hath shut their eyes, that they cannot see their hearts, that they cannot understand. And none considereth in his heart, neither is there knowledge nor understanding, to say, I have burned part of it in the fire, yea, also I have baked bread upon the coals thereof. I have roasted flesh and eaten it. Shall I make the residue thereof an abomination? Shall I fall down to the stock of a tree? Isaiah 40, um, 45, was I just there? 45. Isaiah 45, verse 21. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who hath declared this from ancient time? Who hath told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. In Isaiah 46, Isaiah 46 verse 1, Bel, that's a, a, a false god, Bel boweth down, Nebo stupid, their idols were upon the beasts and upon the cattle. Your carriages were heavy loaden 
They are a burden to the weary beast. They stoop, they bow down together. They could not deliver the burden, but themselves are gone into captivity. Hearken unto me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, which are born by me from the belly, which are carried from the womb. And even to your old age I am he, and even to your whore hairs will I carry you. I have made, I will bear, even I will carry, and I will deliver you. If you're trusting in a false god, if you're trusting, you're trusting in something, some, something that you have to carry around. But if you're trusting in God, He's the one that's carrying you. He's carrying you from the cradle to the grave. Really. There's nothing compares. No one compares with God. Turn back to Isaiah 36, would you? So there's this blasphemous comparison, but we can be encouraged that fact that God is incomparable. There's no one like Him. Uh, actually, verse uh, 10 of Isaiah 37. This is still the same man, still the same stuff going on. He says, thus, 37 verse 10, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God in whom thou trustest deceive thee, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Has God ever deceived anybody? No. Nope. God cannot lie. Titus 1, 2. And that's a verse that God used in my heart that God cannot lie when I came to trust in the Lord because I realized that God has promised salvation to every single person that trusts in Jesus Christ. And I had to come to the place where I realized, okay, God has promised it. God cannot lie. That's what the Bible says. So either I trust God or I don't. And that's what it boils down to. And I think of how Rabshakeh really is really a mouthpiece for Satan, and Satan has had many mouthpieces throughout history. The devil wants us to doubt God's plan of salvation. The, the God of this world has blinded the, the minds of those that believe not. He wants us to doubt God's promises, but the Bible says about Jesus, all the promises of God in him are yea and in him amen, amen unto the glory of God by us, 2 Corinthians 1.20. The devil wants us to doubt God's provision. I think of how in the wilderness they're like, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Can God? God can. You need to switch those words around. God can do anything, anything, anything. God can do anything but fail. He can save. He can cleanse. He can keep any will. God can do anything but fail. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the fairest of 10,000 to my soul. God can do anything, anything. God can do anything but fail. He is able. He is able. I know he is able. I know my Lord is able to carry me through. God can do anything. We can trust him. God, he wants us to doubt God's power Rabshakeh kept saying, God can't deliver you, God can't deliver you, God can't deliver you. He's no different than these false gods. He wants us to doubt God's person. He says, don't let God deceive you, but we know that God cannot deceive us. And he wants us to doubt God's protection. God's not going to protect you, no. At the, the risk of maybe being trite, God's got this. God's in control. I can trust him. So we have that. Adrian Rogers, if you all ever listen to him, he has this great line. He says, the devil is the sinister minister of discouragement. He says, God is the God of all encouragement. The devil will lie to God about you and to you about God. The devil is a liar. He's an accuser and a slanderer. We don't need to trust the devil. We need to trust God. 
So then there, there's not only that, but there's the committing, the committing or the committal. Isaiah chapter 37. Hezekiah has heard these, uh, this from, God, uh, from Rabshakeh. It says in verse 1, It came to pass when King Hezekiah heard it that he rent his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, went into the house of the Lord. He sent Eliakim who was over the household and Shebna the scribe, the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth unto Isaiah the, the prophet, the son of Amos. They said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and of blasphemy, for the children are come to the birth and there is not strength to bring forth. It may be the Lord thy God will hear the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, hath sent to reproach the living God, will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that is left. They go to the right place. They go to God. And I, I find it interesting that Hezekiah at first calls a group of men in his ministration to go talk to Isaiah, the prophet. And I think about, maybe by application, there's times in times of crisis where we can't go it alone, where we need to tell our friends, hey, look, would you pray for me? Maybe we need to get with the preacher and say, hey, look, I've, I've got this really bad situation. Would you, would you pray for me? Would the church pray for me? We're not lone rangers. We need the Lord and we need other believers to help encourage us. There's the committing. But you think about how he humbles himself and shows his grief about all that had been said, how he, he rent his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth. But in turn, in verse 14 of Isaiah 37, not only does he ask others to pray for him and need, he realizes he needs a word from the Lord, but in verse 14 it says, And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up unto the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. In the next verse. And Hezekiah prayed unto the Lord, saying. He didn't pray to Hezekiah, I mean to Isaiah. He didn't pray for a show. He didn't pray so people would be like, oh, Hezekiah is real religious. No, he prayed unto the Lord. He says, O Lord God of hosts, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel that dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and the earth. He sees, Lord, you're with us. You're here. He realizes the presence of God. Thou dwellest between the cherubims. God had manifested his presence there at that place, had shown his presence. And I think about Psalm 46, how it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And in the New Testament, we realize Hebrews 13 says, He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And Matthew 28 says, Lo, I am with you even to the end of the world. But he says, You've made heaven and the earth. You're the creator. He says, you're God alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You're king of kings. You're lord of lords. You're in control. You're sovereign. Incline thine ear, O Lord, and hear. Open thine eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations, their countries, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods. But the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord, even thou only. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. 
All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Whereas thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria? And then God goes on to talk about how he had delivered them. One commentator that I read this week talked about how when Hezekiah spreads this letter out before God, he says it's symbolic, but he said it shows his childlike trust in realizing that he could not deal with the problem, but that he believed that God would take care of the problem. I need that. I need to have that childlike trust. Instead of trying to figure it out myself, but realize that that God's the one that can do that. So, let's consider from Isaiah 37 how God responded to, to Hezekiah. In verse 6 of Isaiah 37, we read this. God told Isaiah to tell Hezekiah this. He says, Thus shall you say unto your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words that thou hast heard, wherewith the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Be not afraid. There's the calm. And this whole section we're going to think about the fact that going to the Lord at this crisis time, at this crossroads time, committing yourself to the Lord, doing what Psalm 55 says, talks about cast your burden upon the Lord, he shall sustain thee, he'll never uh, suffer the righteous to be moved. I believe that's... um, I believe that's the verse. But we're told to cast our burden on the Lord. There's a calm that can come. Don't be afraid is what God tells Hezekiah. Think of Psalm 46, 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. I'm going to heathen. I'll be exalted in the earth. Jesus gives peace. And I apologize for being long-winded tonight. Uh, I a bit off more than I could chew. Uh, don't be afraid. Verse 21 of Isaiah 37. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Where hast thou prayed to me against Sennacherib? And then he goes down. I've heard your prayer. Don't be afraid. I've heard your prayer. Verse 35. God says to, to Hezekiah, For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. I'll protect you. I'll defend you. Don't be afraid. I've heard your prayer. I'll protect you. So there's the calm. There's the condemnation on Sennacherib. God condemns him, talks about the rage that he had against God, and God was going to judge him for that. There's the catastrophe that took place. We see the final verses of uh, Isaiah 37, how those people were killed by God, and Sennacherib had to go home without firing a shot, and he ended up falling by the sword by his own sons in his land. In times of crisis, in times of trouble, I need to trust God. I think of the story Vance Havner gives. He's talked about there was a lady. She was told by the doctors, there's nothing more we can do for you. You're just going to have to trust the Lord. And she said, oh, my soul. She said, has it come to that? (laughs) That I'm just going to have to trust the Lord? And Vance Havner says, 
ultimately, that's, it always comes to that. You're just going to have to trust the Lord. doesn't matter what the situation is. He says, if that's what it ultimately comes to, that you have to trust the Lord, he says, why don't we just start with that? And I look at what Hezekiah did. And he didn't try this step and this step and this step and then finally go to God. From the outset, he's, he's in a bad way. And instead of trying all his solutions, he goes straight to God in childlike trust. Has it come to that? It always comes to that. Precious Savior, still our refuge. God is our refuge and strength. Very present help in trouble. Therefore, will we will not fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be cast in the midst of the sea. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. He doesn't have to ask permission to be exalted. He's going to be exalted. He meets our need. Leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. If you trust and never doubt, he will surely bring you out. May not be the answer you want, but God's in control. And he can give us the calm that we need if we'll just commit ourselves to him. Lord, help us. For whatever trials we may face, whatever trials we are facing, help me. Help each of us not to trust ourselves, but to trust you. May you give us calm, we pray in Jesus' name.